0: It was just either cutting too deeply into my margins or the solution wasn't right. So eventually I created my own fulfillment system. And a year ago, I decided that it would be a good thing to do to take that out of the business and actually create a a separate business just out of that. Because again, I looked looked uh, for a solution that would fit the best, but I couldn't find one. So I just set out to create my own. Welcome to the Nomad Podcast where we discuss inspiring stories of lifestyle transition and how to thrive in a location-independent existence. Nomad Podcast is supported in part by Nomad Prep, an online academy to help aspiring digital nomads make a successful transition. And now here's your host, Sean Tierney.
1: At the age of 27, Julia Shem has accomplished more than the average person, having built two side businesses that generate six-figure yearly revenues. And with her technical background, she's automated the entire operation so that these largely run on autopilot. In this interview, we'll delve into Julia's entrepreneurial journey, her philosophy on automation, her use of meditation, how she employs Tim Ferriss's practice of fear setting for making difficult decisions, and her latest hobby, kite surfing. But before we dig into this conversation, please enjoy a quick word from our sponsor. It's important to have travel insurance as a nomad because stuff happens while we're on the road. And while we hope for the best, we need to always plan for the worst. If you're investigating insurance options, check out Safety Wing. Safety Wing is travel medical insurance specifically designed for nomads. Unlike other providers, you can buy it when you're already on the road and you don't need to continuously update them on when and where you're going next. You just have one monthly subscription that covers you wherever you go for both travel and medical, And if you shop around, you'll find it's about a third of the price of other providers. Visit nomadpodcast.com slash safety wing to get a quote today. And now here's the interview. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast. I am your host, Sean Tierney, and I am sitting across from Julia Shem. Julia is founder of Goldie LA Promotional Products. Uh, This is a business. I'm actually wearing one of her metallic Nomad Cruise tattoos as we speak right now. Um, she grew this business to six figures a year in revenue, has automated the entire operation. Uh, she's also founded another company, Shipdazzle, that she operates with her parents, and they help other commerce brands save time with inventory storage and order fulfillment. Uh, Julia is now working on her next venture with Big Data, piecing together disparate data sources and extracting valuable insights that help business owners make and save money. Welcome, Julia.
0: Thank you. Thank you for the warm introduction.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, okay, so just to, to kind of paint the picture for people here, we are on the Nomad Cruise. We're sitting on a cruise ship right now. Uh, we just had a day at the beach. We're in Kor Fakan, I believe, mm-hmm. which is United Arab Emirates. And uh, drinking, we don't know what this is, but it's a glass of, uh, <laughs> of the premium wine, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, so we met through the Nomad Cruise. I've heard your episode uh, previously on a Mutual Friends podcast, Matt Bowles. And uh, can you just kind of give our listeners, like t- talk about your backstory? You're super interesting, you're from Russia, but like I'll just let you kind of talk and tell how you came to the US and started these companies.
0: Sure, um, so it, it, my story started seven years ago. Uh, I was 19 uh, and I went to the States for the first time as a work and travel student. So there was a program that allowed students in Russia, um, they're studying in the university, and have a chance to go to the States just for the summer and work in the service industry. So like um, housekeepers, waitresses, uh, park attendants, um, anything in the service industry. So I went to New York for the summer for the first time and it was a very um, challenging decision for me because i never been outside of, this, of Russia before. I never traveled, um, I've always been in my hometown and that was a really big decision, and um, also I was supposed to go to a smaller city uh, where there was a job waiting for me, and I decided that I will just do my best and try to find a job in New York. Um, so I, I was able to go, stay there for three months, found uh, a job as a waitress, and that's that, that was the time where I actually started to speak because before I was learning English at school, but it was kind of on and off, um, and spent amazing time in New York, Uh, and then I went back to continue my education so I was um, studying as a computer to be a computer programmer in Russia and I got uh, an internship at the best company in my small city Magnitogorsk which is where I'm from it's in Ural mountains in the kind of um, middle part of Russia and I realized that this is my life Uh, this is how it's going to be for the next 30 years or so Um, and i decided to go back to the states just one last time and for the summer as the same uh, program and went to los angeles uh, just because i i picked the city just because i've been to new york before and then all other cities were either too similar or the weather in the summer was not um, for example in miami was just a bit too hot so i went to los angeles and uh, found a job as a waitress and three different restaurants uh, was at that time I was trying to save money because I didn't have much of a savings uh, My parents actually gave me most of their savings in order for me to go to the States so I was living for two hundred dollars a month in the couch in the living room <laughs> and managing three jobs and riding the buses for an hour and a half between all of them and at some point I um, decided that why do I, I just put my resume online and see what happens as a computer programmer, as a database developer to be exact. And on the second interview that I went to, the company hired me. And then my life changed completely because I my income went from eight dollars an hour to forty dollars an hour or so, and um, I moved from the couch to my own apartment, got a car, um, passed for the driver test in about two weeks, and. Drove to work. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and just for the people listening, you may hear some background noise. We are literally disembarking from Corfacon as we speak right now. So this noise will probably go away in a second. Uh, but if you're wondering what that is, it is the jet engines of this cruise ship that we're on right now. Um, all right. So you had this incredible transition and went from $8 an hour to $40 an hour, which mm-hmm. is quite a pay increase. Yes. Um, and w- was it really just you, you, you just threw it out there and the second interview you had just hit like
0: yeah I was really lucky um, what I didn't realize is how um, the process of finding a job is a bit different in the States because in Russia you are the ones who are sending the applications going to the interviews and in the States you have the recruiters that are doing all the work for you basically and they actually coach you uh, how to uh, be your best at the interview and to, to be hired so uh, yeah the second interview that I went to um, I remember I showed a piece of code that we, I used to write back in Russia um, to my then future boss, and then he laughed and said that, well, here in the States, we don't do that anymore because this, this is what we've been doing 10 years ago. So now things are a bit different, but I think you'll fit in well. Saw the
1: potential. <laughs> That's amazing. So you took this job, and then at what point were you, did, did the tattoo business emerge you were working at this job and then this thing kind of sprang up on the side or how did the the metallic tattoo company come about
0: so i was working for about a year and a half at that point and it was um, i loved my job i loved what i did um, i learned actually a lot of new things but at some point i realized that there is no more room to go further in my career um, in that particular company and just in general like i was a bit actually so I started to pay attention more to my hobbies and one of them were was um, just doing scrapbooking which is uh, this arts and crafts uh, made of paper and I I was selling my first product that I was selling online was actually passport covers so I would make this um, kind of looked like a card but you put it inside of the um, plastic cover and then you put your passport inside so it kind of just I don't know, like a beautiful little thing to use that nobody actually knew what it is, (laughs) what it was at that time. Um, That's what I was selling online. And at some point I just, I came across those uh, shiny metallic gold and silver temporary tattoos. And I got very excited about it. Just, uh, I was starting to use them all the time. um, And I noticed that on Etsy, which is where I was selling my passport covers, Uh, nobody was selling tattoos, those those type, specific type of tattoos. So I found a manufacturer in the States and I started to resell them. And at some point, um, I decided that I'm just going to create my own designs, um, just a better version of the original product. I found a manufacturer in China and... uh, Well, actually, that was quite a, a long process to find a good manufacturer. It's probably taken me like a half a year. But eventually um, yeah I was able to learn Illustrator and Photoshop and create my own designs and send it to print and as soon as the as soon as I got the package I put them all online and decided to sell like hot cookies <laughs> on Etsy because it was such a new and interesting product that people just were finding out about and then my customers started to ask, oh, what, what if we could create our own uh, metallic tattoo for our wedding, for example, or for this new cor- corporate party? Um, just something with a, with a logo or like just a customized version of what you have right now? And I started to make custom designs more and more. And at some point I had so many orders that I was working 14 hour days. I would just come, from, uh, come back home from my nine to five job and then fulfill the orders and then reply to all of the messages and it was just overwhelming and um, then I made a really emotionally difficult decision to quit my job uh, and that was very scary because I've always, I, I, I've always wanted to have a steady income and that uh, that job was actually my American dream this is what I always wanted just to live in the States um, have a great income and be Sort of financially independent and earn a lot more than I was able to learn in Russia and uh, Yeah, I never even thought of becoming an entrepreneur but at that stage um, quit my job and uh, moved to the center of LA and Just spent started to spend all my time uh, on working taking this business off the ground so Because I had a lot of uh, customer service messages and it was just, you know, taking care of many things at the same time, um, I started to think that I have zero time to actually spend on marketing or anything else. All I was doing is just customer service. So what I did is um, I thought, okay, so what is the first thing that I can do to reduce the, the workload? And the first thing was to automate um, the ordering process. So. The reason why I got so was taking care of so many messages every day is because um, most of the time the customization process would happen over email or, or a phone call, and we would go back and forth confirming the artwork and etc. So then I found a programmer in Ukraine, um, created the the plan for him basically did how I envisioned my web application to work, and we spent about half a year and. Um, automated the process of ordering and and applying the, uh, uploading the artwork and choosing the colors and all of that. So once that was done, it just reduced 80% of my workload automatically. So
1: prior to that, the majority of the communications was around like, hey, I right. want it to look like this, mm-hmm. send me this load. Exactly. The wrong file format, Yes, cetera, and so.
0: sending invoices and just, yeah, taking yeah. care of, like, of everything regarding the ordering process itself. Um, so then once that was automated, um, What was left is still um, creating, still communication uh, with clients on um, just approving, proofing the artwork before it goes to print. So then I was doing that myself and I had no problem with it and I actually loved talking to customers. uh, But I always wanted to travel and I think that was the time that I decided, okay, so I have uh, a steady income. This is not as scary as I thought it would be. Um, I have time to go and finally travel the world, uh, go outside of the States. Um, but I, I was afraid to do that because I, what if the internet would be really funky? What if I wouldn't be able to, what if I missed miss that important phone call? So um, I eventually hired a person in Ukraine as well to take care of the, um, kind of to be an account manager. Um, to t- take care of this proofing process and then sending orders to print and making sure that everything is working. And one of the trips that I've taken was Nomad Cruise, actually. So after Where I came the back... Where internet is definitely exactly, not good. <laughs> there is no internet. So I came back it was really anxious and like I thought that my business is going to end and everybody would just... It would be horrible, but actually everything was working fine. Um, so then I decided that, yeah, that's actually it works um let's see what else i can delegate because uh, at that point uh what i think what made the, sh- the big shift for me is i read the book called for our work week so i started to implement the strategies that team ferris was uh, talking about in the book and i delegated the the customization customer service process um, then i hired a designer to take part of um, take care of the artwork design um then also worked on just improving my website and um, my SEO. And I get, got to a point where the only thing that I sh- was taking care of myself is the shipping. Um, and then eventually I found a person in the States who, who would take care of the shipping part as well. So then in about half a year from the point that I, where I quit my job, I automated the business and excluded myself from it basically. So I was able to go to Nepal for two weeks, uh, with no internet connection, uh, got back and then everything was working smoothly.
1: That's amazing. Well, and that's really trial by fire. Like if you're willing to do the nomad cruise, that is putting a very big stamp on, uh, I mean, it has to work because, uh, our, our internet is non-existent here. So, um, well, that's really cool. How did you go about assessing what needed to be automated next? I think it's interesting that you did all this manually, like you Flintstoned mm-hmm. it, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, so you knew all the processes yourself, obviously, because you had to do them mm-hmm. yourself. But then how are you making decisions on, this is the piece that I should automate next versus you know, shipping versus website mm-hmm. ordering all that?
0: So I went uh, kind of step by step, but um, I think what I was thinking at that time is that if I can automate this by somewhat, um, using some technological solution like building a better website or um, using some like a medium like Zapier to automate th- certain things or um, automate the email marketing part and whatever I could not automate that required like human intelligence um, I delegated. I found somebody who would um, take care of that but before I did I absolutely made sure that I know ins and outs of it uh, and I created the 80 pages, documents uh, of how things need to be done, what is the step-by-step process of um, communicating with the client, making sure that we're doing everything, that um, doing the artwork and printing it the way that they wanted, proofing everything before we send it to print, how to send everything to print, um, basically, yeah, everything. So uh, everything that was in my head at the, like how I, Was doing things, I just made sure that I translated to paper and then I created the videos as well of how to do certain things on the website and um, on the back end of the website and I trained my employees to use Illustrator and Photoshop and everything in between and yeah basically I just thought that what what how do I think about things and what is the process in my head and made sure that they um know about this and then they, they do exact same thing.
1: Interesting, like, funny enough, I went through a similar uh, step of, uh, basically similar progression with how this show gets produced. So I have Mm. a guy, Marco, in Macedonia, who produces every episode, and same thing. I just made a giant Google Doc, explained every little step that's in there, and then for each one, I linked it and made a Loom video. So like a Mm -hmm. five, ten minute screencast on this is exactly how I do things. And now that is just like this living document that we update. If anything changes about how we do the show, then we update that doc. And it's like anyone can use it. If he's sick, I could hand it over to someone else. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, That's a really great tip. Um, All right. Well, can you talk? So that business now essentially sounds like it runs itself. Like yes, it's, got it it's been on autopilot
0: it. for the last four years. Amazing. Well, I, of course, I, it's not completely on autopilot because the passive income is never passive. Um, so I whenever I'm back to Los Angeles, I spend a lot of time uh, improving the business and looking for new customers and just improving little things uh, that actually uh, make a big impact um, and sometimes putting out fires as well. So I'm, I'm Uh, whenever my, my, um, employees have any questions about, uh, or like we, we're handling a specific case, then I will definitely step in.
1: Yeah. Where is your head at with that business right now? What do you, what's the next step for it? Or is it just running itself sufficiently that you're happy with it?
0: Um, the temporary tattoo part is definitely, uh, we've perfected it, I think, to this point, but I'm looking forward to introducing new designs. So we're moving slowly into the field of promotional products um, related with paper. So we're looking to introduce um, custom journals and notebooks in 2020. Um, so I'm really, really, really excited about this and um, it's kind of still the same technology for foil stamping as what we use for uh, metallic temporary tattoos. but in a different way and I've been really passionate about journals um, and notebooks in the last couple of years and I think that this is a really great promotional product as well because it's something that people look at every day and then they feel out and it's always kind of reminding them about the company um, so it's an excellent promotional product uh, as yeah especially if you're to... pouring
1: like your deep thoughts into this thing and it becomes like you're classically conditioned if you're looking at their logo and you're constantly
0: mm-hmm.
1: like Pouring your heart into this thing. I can imagine that would be a really strong promotional tool.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) it would be another thing that would be really cool to do is to partner up with speakers and authors to create custom journals for them. Um, So for example, for Tim Ferris, the bullet journal that he uses, if we could create a custom version of it just specifically for him um, because he has his own system of doing that. So that would be truly amazing.
1: Cool. And to, at that point, you guys aren't just designing the cover, You're like the journal itself, like the pages mm-hmm. of the journal could be customized Absolutely. for that speaker. Or for one.
0: Mm-hmm. Total cool. customization. Yeah.
1: Cool. All right. Well, let's shift gears and talk about the other company that you started. I think I didn't even know about this one until 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so <laughs> what is Shipdazzle? Um,
0: Shipdazzle is um, a company that I started not so long ago, about um, a year ago. With my parents. Uh, we help other e commerce brands, just like myself, to store the inventory at our warehouse and take care of the orders and shipping for them. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if um, actually the story started when I was looking for a fulfillment center myself. So, I essentially hired someone to take care of this for me, um, but I did that because I wasn't able to find a fulfillment center in the US. Um, it was just either cutting too deeply into my margins or the solution wasn't right. So um, eventually I created my own fulfillment system. And um, a year ago I decided that um, it would be a good thing to do to take that out of the business and actually create a a separate business just out of that. Because um, again, I looked looked uh, for a solution that would fit the best, but I couldn't find one. So I just set out to create my own. And uh, we are a boutique fulfillment and warehousing center located in Los Angeles, California. Um, And we focus on helping the small businesses just like myself uh, to save time and money on order fulfillment and shipping.
1: What I think is fascinating is you essentially did what Amazon did, if you think about it. Like you you built some infrastructure that was serving yourself and you realized this could be externalized and Mm -hmm. let's expose this. So you, you knew firsthand that other people likely had the exact same issues you did. So you kind of externalized your own solution and made it consumable by them. I think that's super cool.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, And also we we help e-commerce brands that are hosted on Shopify or uh, WooCommerce. So, um, and actually a lot of people are moving away from Amazon because of the high prices, especially during Christmas and holiday season. And um, we are stepping in to help them um, kind of offer the same functionality as Amazon FBA, yeah. but for their own e-commerce store. And they also have a, a much better um, visibility into who their clients are if they move away from Amazon. And it's the, there's a lot of benefits to that, definitely.
1: I mean, is that who you guys market to? I mean, it seems like that's a really compelling story. Like, get free of Amazon and be more in control of your own destiny. I think that's a great great advertising or marketing message to lead with. VR, but
0: we are, but mostly we would just focus on helping small e-commerce brands Altogether, together because I, I've, I've been there and I know how hard it is to find that perfect fulfillment solution. Um, and I'm really glad that I created something that's valuable for others.
1: Yeah. And you do this with your parents, you made it so it's something that they can do. Uh, how involved are they in the business?
0: So they are the ones who are behind the operations. Okay. Um, so, uh, they're making sure that every package is, as, um, Every order is packaged with love and care just exactly as how you would do it if you had, if you were to package it yourself.
1: Cool. Awesome. So if you want an order from Mama and Papa (laughs) Shem, then uh, (laughs) Ship Dazzle is your company. Uh, All right. Let's talk about uh, the cruise. So you and I were both speakers. I went to your talk. um, Mm -hmm. You were at my talk. Uh, I thought there was a number of things. I took a lot of notes. Uh, we're okay. into some, some of the similar stuff, like Tim Ferriss. Uh, can you talk about fear setting and the, like, how you use that exercise? We were, t- we were talking earlier about kitesurfing, so maybe you just mm-hmm. want to like, kind of tell that example. And I want to take a second to briefly pause here and tell you about an exciting project that I'm working on. I recently left my job of five years to go full time on a side project that I started called Charity Makeover. This is a hackathon that brings volunteer knowledge workers together to build game-changing digital assets for local charities in a single day. Think of it like a habitat for humanity, only with virtual assets instead of physical houses. I recently deployed a platform that enables anyone to bring this movement to his or her city. If you think you might be interested in being the admin for your city, visit charitymakeover.org slash podcast to learn more. And now back to the interview.
0: Yeah, of course, um, fear-setting is something that I've been doing uh, many, many times and that allowed me to make many life-changing decisions. For example, moving from Russia to the States, um, quitting my nine-to-five job and becoming an entrepreneur, uh, traveling the world, taking that first trip, uh, automating the business, and um, ending toxic relationships, many, many things really. and I, I initially was doing something similar. I was doing a similar exercise, um, but Team Ferris actually put it in a very good template uh, and really easy to use. Mm-hmm. So you defined your fears first, and you define your worst possible outcome—the worst thing that can happen. Like, what what is it that you imagine you had happening that kind of makes you postpone that uncomfortable action? Um, and once you do that, that's the most important and the the toughest part and then what happens if you actually succeed? What are the benefits of potential success? Is it temporary also? Is it permanent? And if the worst possible scenario is it also temporary or permanent? Most of the time the, the what we fear the most is temporary and then you define the steps of if that happened, how what you can do to make the things go back to the way that they were before. And most of the times, it's uh, like I said, it's temporary. It's, you, you can s- still uh, make certain steps to remedy the situation. Um, but also, the one other important part that you define that most people are actually overlooking when they do the goal setting, for example, is the cost of inaction. So, what happens if you don't do anything? If you stay in your comfort zone and keep the things that the way the way that they were um, and avoid that action, what is going to happen? And, six months, one year, and three years from now. And that actually helps people to put their life into perspective. And for example, um, you can apply this to um, ending a toxic relationship or moving um, to a different place or becoming a full-time digital nomad or just as simple as fear of kite surfing. Um, So what would happen if I just let it be and didn't do anything about my fear? is I would continue to have this massive FOMO because everybody else, uh, most of my friends, do kitesurf and they go to these wonderful places. Um, and every time I went with them, I would, just, I would just stand there on the beach and be like, hey, this is great, but I'm just afraid of going in the water and like I can't swim. So um, I just never did anything about it. So, and then in a year from, in three, from there, and then three years from there, I would definitely feel um, less confident and just wouldn't feel good about myself that I'd never took, taken the chance. Um, so I did this exercise before going to South Africa in May and uh, eventually I did learn how to kite surf. Um, my biggest fear was that I would just face flip multiple times, I was so afraid of that because every, I'm really tiny and the kite is so big and every time I pull it, it would just take me out of the water and just flip my face flat on, on it. So that was really painful. I've experienced that a couple of times, actually many, many times. And I it, initially I thought that this is not for me. I'm just not like everybody else just um, seemed like go up and go. And I was the one who was just, Oh my God, I can't figure this out. Why is this not working? And then I just didn't do anything about it for um, half a year. And after I did this exercise, just like I did many, many times before for certain other things, um, I decided that I still should try. I hired a kitesurfing instructor and the worst thing that could happen is, well, I'll just face flip again. And that, this is really the the worst thing. Um, and the best thing is that I could finally learn how to kitesurf and just... It would, like, overcoming your, one of your greatest fears is such a powerful thing because it makes you feel like you can do anything in the world. And so I learned. Yeah. Yeah. I learned in Mauritius, in South Africa, and it was incredible. I had a a really good instructor and I was able to stand up and not even fall a single time and ride for about two hours.
1: And I think you had, so I... To kite surf, and I had uh, it was not a quick process to learn. It took me like I went yeah. to Cabarete, Dominican Republic,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and just didn't pick it up the first time. And then went elsewhere. I think I went to Mexico after that, and then it took going back to Cabarete a second time. So at this point, I had done it for maybe a total of like I don't know 14 days when it finally clicked. Oh, wow. So it took me a while, and. Uh, I think the same thing that worked for you. I believe we were talking in the radio, like the real-time instruction where they can correct you yes. while you're out there. Yes. that was like a that game was
0: incredible. Changer. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So I think it's uh, I forget who says it, but like the faster you can iterate through the feedback loop,
0: is mm-hmm. usually like
1: in business or in anything. Like just be- being able to make that a tighter loop mm-hmm. is the thing that makes you progress faster. Mm-hmm. And so, absolutely, like the real-time instruction was the thing for me. Uh, but agreed. Like kite surfing is absolutely. a magical sport.
0: Yes. But you can also apply this exercise to anything else. For example, if you're in a relationship and things are not working out, but you're afraid to make that uncomfortable action and leave, um, think about the cost of an action. And not just about you, but the people, the other people that it will affect in six months, in one year, in three years. And that, that really helps to make that uncomfortable action because otherwise you just you realize that things m- just might be, not be good as, as you thought it would be in, in the future.
1: Yeah yep so yep so emphasizing the cost of inaction mm-hmm. while simultaneously showing the steps to mitigate it or reverse it if it is a bad decision mm-hmm. to show you hey it's not that bad like exactly this isn't a fatal decision most of the time it's it. not
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: no i think it's a really powerful thing uh, i will link to tim ferris's talk because he gave a mm-hmm. TED talk i Perfect. saw on fear yeah. setting yeah, yeah. So he we'll explains it the... really well yeah it's a really good one so we'll put that in the show notes Uh, Other stuff from your talk that I took so uh, I too did headspace is my method to on-ramp for meditation And then I also did Sam Harris's program. Mm. I now Mm. kind of do my own variant of that Uh, Can you just talk about like what meditation has done for you or what it means to you?
0: Absolutely, I think it's been one of the most important tools in my toolbox Um, for example whenever you are feeling stuck or you just feel an anxiety and not sure where it's coming from or you're about to make this life-changing decision and it's just driving you insane. (laughs) Um, Meditation is something that helped me along the way to kind of take a step aside and listen to my own inner voice, that my own thoughts that are running through my head several times a day like all the time because I sort of I have a, this monkey mind that's always trying to solve problems especially when I go to sleep for example this is when it, it just kicks in and then it's like oh yeah let's think about every major decision and every possible problem that you have right now <laughs> when you're trying to, to fall asleep um, and meditation especially if I do this in the morning it kind of sets the tone for my day it puts my thoughts in the order sort of and then I'm also able to see of where I'm what I'm thinking about the the most Um, because most of the time that inner voice in your head is not really helpful Um, and it also helps to listen to how you talk to yourself. Do you talk to yourself as your best friend or are you you know saying that um, this is not going to work like don't even try it you know many many thoughts that you don't even notice during the day, but once you sit down and close your eyes and try to step aside and actually take this bird's-eye view on on things, it really helps to notice this kind of things. And it really helps to also just relax and um, it puts your thoughts into perspective as well. Because if something in the the moment feels like it's... I don't know, it's um, very... like life-changing and a very scary decision uh, but once you meditate it just it doesn't after for, for some reason it doesn't seem as scary as it was before
1: yeah yeah no it puts it in perspective and like you said I I too have the monkey mind thing I don't know that I have four different <laughs> essential oils over there that I use to fall asleep <laughs> at night so it's uh um, I agree I think the meditation uh it, it allows you to I don't know it is like a bird's eye view it's like stepping and mm-hmm. kind of observing your own thoughts and to the point where i don't know the, the thing that i think about is like we have like this little puppy dog caged like and it's just running around the cage mm-hmm. and eventually like meditation like if you if you do it right it's like lifting the cage at some point and now the the puppy dog just kind of like stops running around <laughs> and just yeah, gonna sits yeah. there and looks around instead that's the
0: interesting part if you direct your attention onto yourself and you're like, what did, what did, what, what, hold on a second, where did that thought c- came from? Yeah. And you try to, to kind of backtrack it and you realize that, oh, wait a minute, like, I, I'm not even sure, like, it's just, um, it's like um, listening to your own thoughts from, like, a, just a stepping aside. Yeah. Really interesting.
1: It is really interesting. Did you do the Sam Harris program, the waking up program? I
0: did. And the most, uh, my favorite part of it is not actually not the meditations, but the lessons. Yeah. Um, the philosophical lessons about life and how, how we view failures, um, consciousness. And um, yeah, it, he, there's one, uh, one important lesson about um, death, actually. It's called Lessons of Death, uh, where he talks about how we sometimes... Um, don't notice the beautiful things around us and just focus on something that's frustrating. But at the same time, if we can't control it, we still waste our energy on it instead of focusing on something that's more important. For example, if you're stuck in traffic and you're late for this important appointment or interview and then there's one person in front of you just driving really slow and you get frustrated about it. And it's like, you know, thinking that, oh, Why on earth on this particular day you decided to do this? (laughs) Um, But then once you focus on something that this is definitely something that you cannot control. Um, That's one thing. But the second thing is like you don't know what he's going through. Like what if he just um, enjoying this beautiful day? Like he's not late to any anything. Like you're the one who's being late, and this is your problem, not his. So. Kind of also puts things into perspective and i really recommend to listen to that one important lesson
1: cool yeah no i, I really dug the sam harris program
0: mm-hmm. um
1: i strongly recommend it um stoicism is that mm-hmm. so let's talk a little bit about because i think was it your talk that you mentioned yes. the daily stoic mm-hmm. so i just got that book because ben Lakoff also told me to get mm-hmm. it as well um I've read a number of books on stoicism, we know Tim Ferriss is a huge fan of it. What? How do you use it or what does it mean to you?
0: Um, so stoicism, I came across it probably a year ago um, and I think it's one of the most important lessons from it that I, I think I use in my everyday life is trying to not um, focus on things that I cannot control. Only on something that I... Can control my own emotions, my feelings, and the steps that I can take. Uh, basically everything that's inside of my control. Um, so it's it really helps to not waste your energy on something that it like you cannot change anyhow otherwise. Um, for example on relationships and that's one of the examples that I, I was uh, bringing up in my, during my talk. So um, if you love someone and um, if you know you cannot control if they um love you to the same extent as, as you love them right because this is outside of your control what you can control is your own feelings so you can be um the most lovable and affectionate person that you can be but that's about it if if, if they decide to to stick with you that's great if not then it's also it's it's outside of your control so why worry about something that you just cannot control
1: yeah yeah, it's. Um, is that the book that you would recommend if for someone that like if you're gonna give them one thing to introduce them to stoicism, is that the book that you would recommend?
0: That's that's really great if you just want to have this um, one wisdom for a day for the day to read it in the morning and to think about this and see how you can apply it to your daily life, um, and I think a lot of lessons from stoicism, not just that, but uh, many more, can be applied still today. It's really funny how it's been written in the third century and it's we're still the same. We still have spacing the same problems and um, yeah, we can we can apply it to everyday life. But another um, interesting book, well not book per se, but um, I think Tim Ferriss just a couple of months ago, he released this three PDF, large PDF files about stoicism which are available for free on his um, website and that's another that's kind of like if you want to if once you read the daily stoic if you want to continue exploring this i highly recommend checking that out
1: okay we'll find that we'll link those as well in the show notes uh there's one that i would recommend it's called uh guide to the good life the ancient Mm. art of stoic joy Mm -hmm. i don't remember the author but uh i will link that one as well it's Mm -hmm. that is the book i've read like i read ryan Holiday's one the object is the way or the the obstacle is the way Mm -hmm. um didn't it, I don't know. It just didn't seem actionable. But the Guide to mm-hmm. the Good Life, I thought, was an excellent uh, introduction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So we'll link all those resources in the show notes. And I guess the last thing I want to talk about from your Nomad Cruise talk was just automation, like you, mm-hmm. your, your philosophy of automation, because you've done it really well with your own business. But how do you think about automation?
0: I think you should definitely be careful about what, you want to automate because certain things like, um, customer service, for example, you need to be careful, uh, to not you, over exactly to not over automate because there's still, um, a very important part in sales, for example, is the human interaction. Like there are certain things that just cannot be autom well, you can not automate them, but I would just encourage so you not to. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because if, if there is still the, the, this human touch that, um, you would like to keep, in, as a part of your business, definitely keep that. You can also delegate this to someone else, um, but um, in in terms of using technology, use it to a certain extent where it's beneficial, not harmful.
1: Right. Yeah. So the the talk that I gave on Nomad Cruz related to sales systemization, mm-hmm. uh, delegating and automating were two of the steps in the seven-step process. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I don't know, the, the analogy that I used in terms of amplifying team members is, like, I think of it kind of like this exoskeleton, like this thing, you mm-hmm. know, like the the scene that I'm picturing is the Sigourney Weaver in Alien, where she's in this little, like, robot thing that she fits around her, and she's controlling this massive, like, powerful <laughs> machine. Mm-hmm. It's like small movements, you can have massive sweeping results from tiny movements, and that's the way I think of, like, automation, is you, you have joystick controls like minor tweaks allow you to do like trigger an email sequence or like automate some fulfillment actions and whatnot, but it's still piloted by a human and there mm-hmm. is still that human touch there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it sounds like you kind of have a similar philosophy in that regard. To how you think about it?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. I'm really excited to see how our world is going to change in the next decade or so. Once uh, the AI and uh, it's just it's this technology is evolving really rapidly. And um, I think we're on this step before we like before we we take this exponential progress towards that field, but also people need to be conscious about it and to not overdo it and let it into a direction where we don't want to go.
1: So you're talking about like general AI at this point, <laughs> <Yes>. yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there that is the concern, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, how do you do it ethically and in a way where exactly. that genie can't get out of the bottle and mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's a whole episode we could do on that topic. <laughs> are you are you doing anything with AI, or are you strictly like analysis of big data, but not necessarily with like machine learning and
0: AI? Um, I'm slowly getting into that field, but at the moment, I'm not using any machine learning. I'm just focusing on the data analysis and and using that to drive better business decisions. Uh, but AI and um, it's it's definitely an interesting topic because we can just. For one thing that we can use it for is is to predict the future a little bit in terms of just inventory quantities, sales, you name it. Um, but yeah, we definitely like it's it's uh, a black box basically that nobody knows exactly how it's gonna play it out in the future. Yeah,
1: have you by chance seen the AlphaGo documentary? The one that Google, so you, do you know AlphaGo? Like the one, they, they have the AI that beat the smartest Go player in the uh,
0: world. Yeah. <laughs> and so this
1: is, for, for people listening, so we've already had the grandmaster of chess, right? Deep Blue, they beat him. But that game is a bounded game where there's a finite number of moves. Mm-hmm. And so it can actually just brute force every combination and win purely by looking ahead and knowing all the paths to winning, right? So it's mm-hmm. a different way. AlphaGo was like the first test of raw AI where it can't, it has to learn, it has to like figure out strategies and methods of playing um, because there's just like some kajillion permutations of how a Go game can go. Right. (laughs) So anyways, this is a brilliant movie. You should check it out. Um, And it's talking about like it just shows you like the smartest, best Go player who this like Korean guy and he's just like of course I'm gonna win and it's like just humbling to see him lose and the emotions <laughs> he goes through losing to a machine and like the the country that had like come to see and watch him and like gasping you know when this machine beats him uh, <laughs> it's it is it's a it's a new it's a new world
0: that's very scary yeah. <laughs> but hopefully we'll be able to find a way to use it to our benefit
1: I think the uh Peter Diamandis. Do you know who that is? Mm -hmm. So he I'm a big fan of him, uh, his podcast. And he's very pro on like these technologies are. Yes, we need to develop them ethically and be, you Mm -hmm. know, not just like completely naive that nothing's going to go wrong. Like we have to make sure that nothing goes wrong. But at the same time, these are also the tools that can solve unsolvable problems that we don't know how to solve yet.
0: Or just uh, automation, for example, is a tool as well. Yeah. It's a tool to allow you to save your time and stop doing the repetitive work and focus on something that's more valuable to your business. For example, marketing and bringing new clients and increasing sales. Right. So it's, yeah, it's definitely a very like beneficial tool. And I love technology and I love using that to, um kind of get away from the works for work's sake and, and focus on something that's more important for your business and for your personal life as well.
1: Yeah. So this is, I think, a good segue. Can you talk a little bit about this next venture that you have planned? Like what, mm-hmm. what is it? Uh, yeah. What, what can you share about what you're looking to do?
0: Um, yeah. So I'm looking to leverage my knowledge as an entrepreneur and running uh, an e-commerce business and my kind of past life as the computer programmer or um, database analy- analytic person. Um, so I realized that a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs are not really using their data um, to improve their business and to to, to, to drive better decisions. Um, they do look at the KPIs, for example, but they're not doing this like thorough business analysis. For example, I just recently read a book Eighty Twenty Marketing, mm-hmm. and it's an incredible tool, um, but not many people know about this. And there are several other re- kind of metrics that, if you um, do a thorough analysis of your own business, you kind of get a perspective of where things are working out, where you should focus, and where you where are your inefficiencies. So maybe there's something that you should let go of. And that's um, at the very early stages of Goldie. Uh, I was selling my own designs and I was doing the custom designs as well. And I realized that most of my revenue is actually coming from the custom designs. um, All the biggest part of it. So I started to pay attention to it more than um, like selling to local stores and whatnot. Um, But also because I'm a a big fan of automation, um, I'm looking to... Kind of use big data and and um, i'm able to get the data from multiple sources and play around with it and then slice it the ways that um help you to kind of get a bigger perspective on your own metrics and see where you can save money where you can earn more money um and things like that
1: and okay so let's just say that i come to you and as pagely and we've got you know different data sources we have our support system and our crm and our uh, you know custom SAS control panel and mm-hmm. Redshift has a bunch of event tracking in it and just all these different data sources. Mm-hmm. What are you are you going in not knowing what you're looking for or do you have ideas and you're testing theories or like what is your process to use just raw data that's there and make sense of it?
0: Um well because every dif- every business is different um so if you know exactly what you're looking for or what you're trying to achieve, what's the end goal? So you give me all the inputs mm-hmm. and then what, what are you looking in terms of the output? And I will be able to um, take a look at the data and then bring it from multiple sources and analyze it and kind of give you those business insights.
1: So we might give you challenges. So we'll say like, you know, we have higher churn than we would like on our, our SaaS mm-hmm. product. Mm-hmm. So, with like, subscriptions, people canceling too soon, maybe that's an issue, maybe, uh, I don't know, like, um, let's say, too many credit card payments fail inadvertently or something. Like, so we're giving you challenges, and you're looking at the data that's there to solve those challenges, or are you coming back to us and saying, you know, I think you could get more profitability by introducing a new plan type between these two tiers mm-hmm. based on what I'm seeing? Yes, exactly that, that. type of stuff.
0: Yes, and for example, if it's an e-commerce yeah. business, then also... Um, to kind of uh, track down that uh, downstream effect. For example, if you run a particular promotion for free, you offered your your product or service for free for certain cu- customers a year ago um, to see if those customers were actually are on board with you right now, um, how much revenue did you get from those customers um, and if that actually that promotion worked well or not in the general sense. Um, and then what are your top clients that you should focus all of your um, time with, like, well, what, what are your top clients that you should focus on uh, building a better relationships with, right. and um, things like that. So it, it actually, it's, um, there's three things, there's frequency, um, so recency, w- and recency RFM, yeah. exactly, yes, yeah. um, so just, I mean, I'll just clarify
1: what those are for the people listening. So recency, mm-hmm. frequency, and monetary, or what's the M? Money. Money, mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
1: Cool. All right, so if someone is listening and has a business with a lot of data, like, are you, you're you in discovery phase, it sounds like. So you're literally exactly. willing to just kind mm-hmm. of look at people's data sets mm-hmm. for the sake of just kind of seeing what all you can do and what is out there, right, mm-hmm. at this point?
0: Yeah, Um, I'm looking to find your inefficiencies and help you to... Um, save money on certain things and then earn more money. And maybe there's um, different products that you're not offering in the moment or different price ranges where your customers can spend 4X times money that you're just not aware of and you're basically leaving this money on the table right now, Um, things like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and you're not necessarily even charging right now. You're talking about just getting a couple case study, couple wins under your belt just to show that you can do it?
0: Exactly, I'm just looking for more case studies to see um, what actually I can help with because I have this all of this knowledge and I've used this data analysis for myself, but it's not necessarily it's gonna apply the same exact way to any other business. So I'm looking to get um, more information of like more of the case studies of different types of businesses and see why I can help.
1: Cool. So if you're listening and you have a lot of data and you want some free help basically, um i think honestly you should just do a donation model like charge pay for what you think it's worth like if you have a okay. big win for someone they should absolutely hopefully pay you for it so um awesome Sounds right. good. um a couple of things before we wrap up so you did my self-defense workshop i just wanted to ask you like mm-hmm. what was your motive for coming and what did you get out of that
0: uh, the motive for coming is that I'm a solo traveler and um, in many countries, for example, Brazil that I recently been to, I was really afraid to go there because of the certain stories that I heard and actually one of my friends got mocked, um while we were there. So it's, it's, uh, it's really important to know just the basics of self-defense. Because um, as careful as you can be, like there's just certain scenarios where um, like just by being basically unlucky you can just get into really scary situations so it's important to know uh, what are your options and thank you for doing the workshop because uh, i was able to get some of the more insights of how to get yourself out of cer- certain situations um, um, because m- prior to that i just I, m- most of my uh, knowledge just came down to running uh, but what if you're you know, there's other situations where you cannot run, and then you have to defend yourself, and then then what do you do in that case, especially as a woman? Yeah. Um, so that was really beneficial.
1: Do not attack Julia if you're listening. She is <laughs> way stronger than she looks, like <laughs> deceivingly strong for as small as you are. <laughs> cool. And then, uh, and I think that's good. And I think my biggest outcome or my uh, my hope for that workshop was that it just gets people thinking about it and if like if one person decides to go maybe take a Krav Maga class then that's a win from that whole I will perfect so yes. that was as soon as a win as we get back to
0: Los Angeles <laughs> I will take a Krav Maga class
1: oh I know for a fact actually you should go to my buddy who teaches there oh okay yeah, Joey Karam was episode number six I think mm. so you should actually see that episode okay he talks through a lot of the stuff that we talked with but he's like next level like Jason Bourne reincarnated like
0: oh wow he's, he's
1: legit he'll take an AK-47 out of someone's <laughs> hands before they blink
0: oh perfect so yeah. I can take that in action as soon as next week yeah. once I'm back
1: awesome I will put you in touch with Joey um, alright cool and then I guess the last thing so you were also we were both in the talent show as well so can you just talk <laughs> and on a fun note here so tell me about your like your background with dance because you were super talented both swing and salsa dancer. Uh,
0: Thank you. Um, uh, The funny thing, i I never taking a single salsa class before and uh, I learned salsa in the first Noma cruise that I went to. It was coming from um, Colombia to Portugal and a lot of people, just a lot of locals that were taking the the cruise outside of the Noma cruise conference um, were dancing incredible salsa and I was able to learn a lot during those two weeks that we were crossing the ocean and I do salsa a little bit in Los Angeles just on Fridays there's this great restaurant and um, it's really they play really fun music and sometimes live music um, um, but swing dance for example I fell in love with it a couple of years ago the first time that I went to New Orleans and I went to a friend of mine who... I knew that he was teaching some sort of a dance. Um, he never actually explained what swing dance was, so I, um, I actually didn't really realize of he, what, what he's capable of. And as soon as we um, went to listen to the live band and he started dancing, it's just... it was so incredible. And I was sure that they um, rehearsed it multiple, multiple times and they actually didn't. It was 90% improvisation. And at that point, I was completely blown away. And I promised myself that as soon as I'm back in the States, I will take the class and I will learn how to do it. And um, two years, fast forward, I uh, just recently, um, a year ago actually, I went to... Um, One of the biggest festivals in Europe, it's called Lindy shock, happens on three boats in Budapest once a year and The most skilled dancers and teachers from all over the world just come to that event for two weeks on the boat And that was incredible. I think this this is where I've taken my intermediate level to intermediate advanced and I was able to learn so much And after that um, I didn't stop. I decided that I'm gonna learn aerials, which is like the most fun thing to do while you're dancing. So imagine if you're dancing with a partner, all of a sudden you do a backflip in the dance. <laughs> or they lift you up and then you kind of go around them and like fly. This is the, I guess this this, this is it. This is the feeling of just flying, I guess, in the dance. So it's, it, it's truly incredible. And I was in two teams uh, for Camp Hollywood competition this year. And I absolutely love swing dancing. There's so many things. There's Lindy Hop, which is a slower pace. Um, there is Charleston, which is my favorite. It's, it's like a, a fast paced jazz. And most of the time it happens when you, there is a live jazz band. And it's just the the energy in the room and the, the fun and just everything combined is just... It makes me feel alive.
1: Yeah. you, you- look like you're having a blast up there and I (laughs) swear for a bit it didn't even look like you were touching the floor you're like kind of (laughs) bouncing around and somehow levitating and exactly it was was really impressive (laughs) um all right well actually I I do want to ask one last question um and then we have the breakdown Mm -hmm. but the nomad cruise so what would you say like how how did you find this cruise and Mm -hmm. nomad cruise in general but specifically this cruise relative to the other ones that you've been on uh your thoughts
0: this particular cruise is for alumni, so if people who have been to the cruises before, um, and I just this is the first um, my, well the first trip that I've taken many many years ago, and um, this is what kind of put me out of side of my comfort zone and made me travel in the first place. Um, so when I heard about people people that have been to the cruises before, and then this is the like event that's going to be once a year um, for. Alumnies and I will be able to see all of my friends and people that I've met on multiple cruises all in the same boat I was definitely sold (laughs) and Every single conversation that I've had on this boat up to this day has been so incredible and valuable and I'm insanely grateful for that opportunity
1: How would you describe the experience to someone who has never been to a conference or cruise ship Mm -hmm. or any of like What are we doing here? (laughs) What is this?
0: (laughs) (laughs) um So during the day, we have workshops and talks about important topics on personal development and entrepreneurship as well. So um, every one of us has the ability to offer a talk about just something that they're really deeply passionate about. So I was speaking about business automation and recently on this cruise, I was speaking about anxiety, entrepreneurial anxiety, actually, Um, and you learn so many things during the day and then... It doesn't stop at that because then we have the meetups so you're able to take those one-on-ones with people that um, you kind of just want to brainstorm on some crazy ideas that you have or um, you want to just pick up their brain on some specific um, thing that you're stuck on and it just speeds up the process of learning so much because you can spend a lot of time just uh, thinking about a particular problem and trying to solve it but then once you find a person who already done that and then they can tell you how to do things in about 30 minutes, that's just incredible. And be, it's not just strictly business because we um, we done salsa during the nights and um, we talk a lot about f- just philosophical questions and um, play certain games, like we, we played improv for like three days in a row and it's really fun and it allows you to connect with those like-minded people um, with entrepreneurial background or just freelancers or people that want to become digital nomads and they're all on the same boat from like 20 plus countries and continent like many continents and many nationalities and it's just incredible like i said i've been enjoying every single conversation so far
1: yeah and this has been a long one this is a 16 day cruise, so we're at the very tail end of it Uh, Mm -hmm. But I would agree with everything you just said. It's just like a a mixture of personal development slash Mm -hmm. fun slash just these talks and like an unconference format where you can kind of like create, you know, I saw Wim Hof breathing stuff, which is something that I do. And just like, you know, anyone who has any weird idea, they can throw it up on this corkboard and like instantly there's going to be 10 other people that want to be involved with it. So,
0: Yeah, I I, I think this is the place if if you want to just... get um n- many new ideas um uh, or just brainstorm or something this is the place to be because i have a long list of things that of ideas that i've never thought about before um a long list of to do things that once i land uh, in dubai once i fly back to los angeles that what i need to do in terms of bringing my business to the next level and just as- aside from all of that aside from business i was able to connect with people that just on a deeper level because you spend so much time together um this two weeks and it's i i think i've made a really really cool friendships during those past two weeks
1: yeah how has the the i mean it's a forced digital detox too in the sense mm-hmm. that like the wi-fi is terrible to non-existent here and uh, even if you buy it it's really difficult to get online uh, have you felt that to actually be beneficial or like the lack of connectivity, I guess, in in terms of those closeness of friendships and like needing to be present. I almost feel like Mm -hmm. the fact that we can't get online is a good thing. Absolutely,
0: it's definitely a good thing because um, just think about when you go to a a restaurant uh, in your city, like you see people just stuck in their phones even though they're on a date, for example, they're still checking their social media or, like, they're checking their messages or something. Here, the phone just doesn't exist. Yeah. And the m- money also do not exist as well because everything is paid for. Yeah. So it's kind of like a mini version of the Burning Man, I think. This is the closest thing that I can kind of connect it to where you have the money, d- like, um, doesn't exist, uh, the social media doesn't exist, and all you're left with is just a human connection.
1: Yeah. I think that's a perfect place to end. There's a last little structure part of this interview. It's called The Breakdown. Are you ready for The Breakdown? Oh,
0: ready. Breakdown, baby. All
1: right. What is one book that has profoundly affected you?
0: Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. It's a Bible for everybody who want to automate their business, or just have more free time with their um, kids and family, or just more time to travel.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really... That is by far the most common book that is recommended amongst my guests. So I think Mm -hmm. it's a really great suggestion. What about what is one person you would love to have dinner with? And they could be alive or past.
0: When I ask that question, I always think about my grandmother. Um, She was a very strong woman and she went through a lot of hardships. Um, She was deported from um, her hometown and just... Built a life from scratch in Magnitogorsk in my hometown where I was born Um, and she she was the example for me to um, just always count on yourself not count on anybody else and be the strongest person that you can be and whatever you want to achieve you have all the capacity everything that you need to have you have inside you and I always think about her whenever I needed to take a life-changing decision, like moving to the States, because um, I thought that if she would be in this kind of situation, she would definitely do that, and she'd be really proud of me.
1: Cool. What about what is one tool or hack that you use to save time, money, or headaches?
0: Uh, productivity tricks. I um, Let's see, so there is one uh, technique that's called Pomodoro, mm-hmm. uh, when you block out The time in twenty-five minutes or fifty minutes, and it helps me to not um, spend too much time on something that's um, like not very productive. For example, so if I'm researching things, then I I can go on and on and on reading like different books and articles about this forever and ever. Um, But if I time myself um, and I realize that after like uh, fifty minutes, for example, I haven't really progressed in like. Learning what, what it is that I'm trying to learn and what, what I'm looking for to, to like what a solution finding a solution to a particular problem That I stop I'm gonna take a break and I f- uh, focus on something else um, But also um, there is this graph. I uh, forgot the name of it. There's where you defined um, uh, um, Separate the page into four corners basically and then separate your to-do list into those four chapters where um, so something that's important. Exa- yes, exactly. So you kind it's of separate it Eisenhower
1: to... matrix. The there one. we go. Yeah. Okay.
0: So that really helps me to um, define what's important on my to-do list and what's just a repetitive work.
1: Yep. Cool. I used to actually have my screen. So my desktop was a hand-drawn mm. version of that with like two arrows of urgent, important, and I could literally like put the files that I was dealing with mm. in the right quadrant on my desktop spatially. And so when I would you know, When I went there, I'd always look to the upper right because it's like urgent and exactly. important, and then you go to the important, and then like
0: so, whatever is urgent and not important, this is what you need to delegate, yeah, or automate, or,
1: or eliminate, oh, yes, <laughs> <And> yes, like <laughs> what can you really just say, like, okay, this doesn't really matter in the long game, like,
0: yeah, yeah, cool, definitely,
1: great tip. Uh, okay, what about what is one piece of music that speaks to you lately, or a musical artist?
0: Um, let's see, I love jazz. Um, but also I love musicals, so I've been listening to, um, La La Land soundtrack and I also play the piano and sing and, uh, I just have this deepest love for musicals because it's, it's, um, I don't know, there's something to it that just also makes me feel alive and also the fact that I can dance to it and sing and play and just all of those things all together.
1: What is your favorite Um, musical?
0: Um, The Greatest Showman. Okay. Cool. Absolutely.
1: Not familiar with that one? We'll check it really? out. Really? No. Never seen
0: that? No. Oh my god, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I've seen this like five times already.
1: I'm excited. I'll put it on my list. All right. Uh, what, here's this is a difficult one. What important truth do very few people agree
0: with you on? I think that focusing on something that you can control versus that you can control. Um, So back to stoicism actually Um, for example, I've been trying to change the mindset of my parents to um, Help them see the positive things instead of the negative not the negative per se, but something that they cannot change anyhow Mm -hmm. Um, Because I am maybe it's it's, as a Common Mindset in Russia because I remember myself doing that all the time as well Um, because you're so um, used to things being not good for a long period of time, they kind of just, it's, it sets in your brain that things are always, like there's, you can always find something that's not good. Mm-hmm. It's not going on well. Um, so changing that mindset and flipping that inner switch into focusing on the positive instead of the negative, it's a really uh, important and a tough thing to do. I think it's it's just, because you're not even realizing that you're, um, just you know been ranting about something for uh, a couple of minutes that you, you cannot even have control over um so yeah
1: was it I can't remember if it was your talk or someone else's where they were talking about the analogy of the toboggans and the snow like mm-hmm. neural pathways being like when you I met, it was Nikki's talk but mm-hmm. about the idea that you get into these grooves and when you have the same thought enough times that mm-hmm. it actually makes like a almost in the way that like a toboggan going down mm-hmm. the snow kind of burrows out a little tunnel and now exactly, like it wants yeah. to go there f- every time they're on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I don't, know, I don't mm-hmm. know why that just popped in, but like, it seems like, um, yeah. So stoicism and mm-hmm. breaking those mental pathways, toboggan. Mm-hmm. All right. Last question. What is, if you had a time machine to go back to your 20 year old self, what is one piece of advice you would give yourself? <laughs>
0: Same thing, stop trying to control something that you cannot control. Yeah. Stop worrying too much because at the end, if you're about to jump from a cliff and you don't have a parachute, just trust yourself that you're going to land on your feet no matter what. If you don't know that how things are going to play out at the end, that's totally fine because none of us do. And it's important to just believe in yourself and know that no matter what, you're going to be okay.
1: Awesome. Julia, you are a bright star of the cruise. I'm super excited that we got to have this conversation. Where, if people want to follow you or get, you know, see what happens with your next venture, or maybe even submit some data to be considered as one of your next candidates, how do they get in touch with
0: you? Absolutely.
1: If you have a substantial social media following and consider yourself a micro-influencer in the digital nomad space, I invite you to check out a program I'm in the early stages of rolling out. I call it the Advocate Program for Nomad Podcast and Nomad Prep. It's a multi-level affiliate program that enables you to monetize the social media following you've built by referring my course to your followers. You can earn commission on both students you originate directly, as well as students who come in via the advocates you originate, essentially a downline. And all through simply introducing your following of aspiring nomads to a course that can help them more confidently make the leap. I'm in the process of selecting a small group of early advocates who I'll be working with closely to refine this program and make it effective. In exchange for early participation, those influencers will be grandfathered in at the highest level of commission that will ever be offered in this program. To learn more about the program and the referral numbers necessary to generate a four-figure monthly side income, visit nomadprep.com slash advocates and apply today. That URL again is nomadprep.com slash advocates. Help aspiring nomads make the leap and get paid for doing so.
0: You've been listening to the Nomad Podcast. For links to all the resources mentioned in this episode, transcripts, show notes, photos, and more, visit nomadpodcast.com. Nomad Podcast is supported in part by Nomad Prep, an online academy to help aspiring digital nomads make a successful transition. Take the first four days free by visiting nomadprep.com forward slash podcast.